CDI podcast. Picture this, you're scrolling through your favorite social media platform, double tapping memes, laughing at cat videos, and suddenly a post appears that feels like it was plucked right from your thought. How does it know you so well? Well, that's the magic, or should I say the mystery, of social media algorithms. From memes to live streams and the hottest trends setting the internet on fire, it's all there. With viral challenges and heartfelt stories, social media is more than just a platform. It's where the virtual realm meets reality, and every swipe and click brings you everything you like and love. In fact, I remember a time when people weren't too bothered by social media algorithms. We kind of accepted this idea that algorithms were a good thing, that they were put in place to give us what we like and what we love, which is true to some degree. But that rosy depiction of algorithms has disintegrated into a reality where we're dealing with some pretty serious consequences and the darker side of their influence. Now, when we talk about algorithms, we're not talking about funny cat videos or celebrity gossip news flooding your feed. We're talking about the role algorithms play in fueling the spread of misinformation, disinformation, political interference, government interference, and their impact on democracy. My name is Portia Cut. And my name is Mia Daly, and we're back with season two, episode two of Heat Waves of Change. In this episode, we'll keep digging into our exploration of misinformation and disinformation. We're getting into something we all know too well, something you probably mess with every day or have at least dabbled in. I use it every day and Portia, I know you do too. Yes, I'm talking about social media. We're diving deep into the world of social media with two seasoned experts who have spent years researching social media algorithms. We've reached out to Assistant Professor in Computer Information Systems at Colorado State University, Hamed Kahiri Saremi, as well as the Chair of the Information Science Department and Professor at the University of Colorado Boulder, Robin Burke, to help us answer some pretty serious questions related to the social media platforms we use every day. Both have dedicated their expertise to understanding algorithms on social media, and today, they'll help us understand how these digital learning machines contribute to the spread of misinformation and disinformation online, leading to real-world consequences. Real-world consequences like the hesitancy to take action on climate change. Let's pause and think about that for a moment. It's universally recognized that our planet is heating up, surpassing even the most dire predictions of the international heat wave that has been our new reality. Consider the droughts in California, the wildfires in Hawaii, Canada, Chile, and Greece. It's baffling to think that there are still people who deny the realities of climate change. Skepticism can be linked back to the mess of mis- and disinformation spun by these algorithms. And here's the twist. In the digital age, our info diet is often shaped by algorithms on social media platforms. They toss us content based on what we're into, creating echo chambers where we're fed info that vibes with our existing beliefs. It's like our own personalized newsfeed, but with a heaping side of bias. And here's the thing, these algorithms don't know if something's real or fake. They only know what you like. So they contribute to the spread of misinformation, influencing public opinions and potentially downplaying the urgency of climate action. Did you know that while the majority of Americans recognize climate change as a major threat, according to Pew Research, only 37% in 2023 believed it should be a top priority for the president and Congress. And it's an even bigger contrast when we look at politics. 
So the challenge ahead is not only addressing climate change itself, but also tackling the misinformation that is getting in the way of the real world action. Portia, we all know how popular social media is. It's the way you and I and billions of people around the world socialize, stay connected, gather information, produce information, and make decisions. Now, I remember back in the day, and when I say back in the day, I mean the late 90s through the mid-2000s. The majority of my socializing was done in person. Yeah, we had MySpace, and eventually we started using Facebook. But my generation, what am I, a millennial? We still weren't really heavy on using social media like we are today. Today, these platforms have basically become the new hangout spots. It's where we socialize, stay in the loop, and of course, drown in memes. But unlike the conscious decisions we make about who to hang out with, social media throws stuff at us without us consciously choosing it. And that's where the algorithms come in. They heavily influence what we're into, what we throw a like at, or even share with our family, friends, or extended networks. And that's where it starts to get interesting, Mia. Think about it. Our news feeds are curated based on what the algorithms think we want to see. But what happens when that includes misleading or false information? The rise of misinformation isn't just a screen time issue. It spills over into real life, impacting our decisions, beliefs, and it even stirs up bigger societal problems. Professor Kahir Saremi has been knee deep in the digital scene for over 10 years, digging into how these algorithms on social media platforms driven by artificial intelligence influence our behavior. His research looks into the potential consequences of these algorithms, especially when it comes to mis and disinformation. So let's get into the good stuff with our first guest today. Professor Kahir Surami, thank you for joining us. Now, Professor Surami, let's take it back to the basics for just a second. Most of us have a general idea of what algorithms are and what they do. If I hop onto IG right now, for example, my feed is filled with baby products, labor and delivery videos, and parenting hacks. My partner said his feed is showing a lot of the same things too. So I'm guessing it's because I'm pregnant and that's the majority of what we've been searching for right now. But I know there's more to it. So break it down for us. So the algorithms are essentially what we call them computer machines. And by machine, I mean there are lines of code. There's a family of these algorithms, right? There's not just one algorithm, so they have different names. But the main characteristic of all of them is the concept of machine learning. And what machine learning means is that these algorithms can do intelligent things, meaning that they can look at the data, they can learn the pattern in the data, and then based off of that learning, they can make prediction, right? That this prediction, as they do it more and more and more, become more and more and more accurate. Prior to the algorithms, this was the characteristic that all the humans had, that makes all the animals, right? That you could see things in the world, then you can connect the dots and understand the pattern. And then based on that pattern, you can make prediction and make decisions. If I do this and this and this, that's going to happen. Now, you have a set of lines of code, and these are some mathematical functions that when you, are, you provide the data to them, 
they can understand the relationship between the first variable and second variable and the 10 variable. And then as they learn, this learning become more and more mature and established, and they get much better and much better in this prediction. Now, a couple of things that these algorithms need to be really good is uh, a lot of data. They require a lot of the more data you provide to them, all right, that you have, they have more content to study and learn from it. And unlike humans, they don't get tired, all right, that's what they do. So on social media, you have billions of people around the world uh, that they are essentially conversing, they're engaging conversation, meaning that they're generating data. That text, that comment that you post, that message that you post, that content that you post on social media, that is the data, right? It's a very rich data, in fact, right? So the text, if you, if you write two, three, four lines of comment, right, that comment, there are algorithms that can turn that comment into quantitative, quantitative numerical data and then you have another set of algorithms, which we should be referred to as the social media algorithms, that they can go over that quantity data and start learning the relationship between you and what you like and what you don't like based on the current. The more data is generated that we have a lot of it, of course, about social media, the better these algorithms become. Algorithms are basically keeping tabs on every digital step we take. The more data we throw at them, the smarter they become. Next thing you know, they're cooking up and serving information, often wrapped as ads, that just keep popping up all over our feeds. According to a coalition of researchers and scientists with Climate Change Against Disinformation, Meta's ad library uncovered 3,781 ads from fossil fuel-linked entities between September 1st and November 23rd, 2022. And these fossil fuel-linked entities didn't spare any change. They dropped a cool three to four million dollars on Facebook and Instagram during this ad campaign. Major players like Energy Citizens, a PR and lobby group affiliated with the American Petroleum Institute, took center stage in these ad campaigns. This group ran more daily ads than all other pages in the study combined. Meanwhile, America's plastic makers, funded by the American Chemistry Council, dropped a cool 1.1 million in climate-related campaigns. Researchers also found the top 10 pages for ad volume and spend were dominated by industry PR and lobbying groups like Americans for Prosperity, Energy for Progress, and Energy Citizens, a big reminder of the huge role these groups play in shaping public discourse. And we stumbled upon ads from major players in the carbon game like Shell, Chevron, and ExxonMobil. But here's the twist. Despite their big talk about green credentials and playing a hero role in achieving net zero emissions, when you peek into their portfolios, it's still overwhelmingly oil and fossil fuels. Looks like the green image might be more of a marketing move than a full-on commitment. Now, let's take a step a bit further into the world of fossil fuel secrets. Remember when Exxon's own scientists foretold catastrophic climate change, and then the company pulled a complete 180? Yeah, that happened. So what are they up to now? Well, researchers at Boston University analyzed over 22,000 tweets, and guess what they found? 60 Twitter accounts funded by the oil and gas powerhouse, spreading a whole bunch of false information about climate change. But hold on, there's more. The tweets followed a pattern, including headlines like climate change is not threatening and Biden's energy plan hurt economic growth. 
It's like reading from a fossil fuel playbook straight from the industry's communication strategy. Organizations like PragerU and the Heartland Institute also weren't shy about dropping ads that were, let's say, a bit skeptical about climate change. One ad boldly claimed that, quote, a new poll debunks the 97% consensus claim about hashtag climate change. While another ad raised eyebrows asking, has environmentalism become a religion? So what's the bottom line here? Well, for starters, it's a harsh reminder of how sneaky misinformation from the gas. We have to look at the social media uh, as an ad machine, ad selling machine. They are designed to sell ads, right? That's, that's their business model. You are a better ad seller if you can target the ad better. Algorithms are designed for that purpose. They learn from the data that the users of the social media post and generate, and then they know how to target which content should be targeted to which person, exactly like an ad. And the prediction is that that person has a higher likelihood of acting on it. So when I think of ads, I think of them in more of a traditional way, like a product ad that companies hope you click on and then ultimately hope you end up buying something. We have all seen those, right? But outside of traditional product ads, what about all the other stuff we see on our news feeds? The things like videos, pictures, posts, news stories, likes, comments, and even friend suggestions that pop up when we open whatever social media app we're using at that moment. So you have all of the social media applications that you have, like Facebook, or when you open it up, you have a feed, right? And these feeds, you do not have much control over it. Dif different platforms give you different types of control. Some of them let you control in a way that, okay, I want to see the, the latest comments first. Some of them you can give more agency to the algorithms, so the algorithm decide what I see. But in all of them, regardless, right, it's the algorithm that decides, okay, which content appeared there. Because there are billions of things that you could see, right? There is no way that we open the Facebook. We see all of the comments that have been posted on Facebook since our last visit. So it's really the algorithm that decides, okay, which of these you should see. In addition to these, we have the matching algorithms. The matching algorithms are the algorithms that suggest who you should be friend with. Those sort of contact suggestions or friend suggestion algorithms. You see picture of these different users and they're suggesting that we think that you should be friend with this user. And these algorithms behind the scene, of course, right? They look at your connections and the connection of the people and they try to see how much of the overlap is between your connections and that person connection. And based on that, they decide that you two can be friends, can be connected to each other based on the similarity of sort of the shared friends or the shared contacts that you have. Now, we have to consider one thing. We are more likely to become friends with the people who think like us. They are more like-minded. This matching algorithm essentially creates what they call a small word connections, meaning that you create a very dense network of the user that are connected. All of them are connected to each other, interconnected to each other, that they think alike. And then the people who don't think like these people right, are not as connected to this group. So you have this polarization of the people that are heavily connected to each other, right? This is what it refers to echo chambers. Algorithms are curating our reality by deciding who and what shows up in our feeds. It's eye-opening that even though we might feel like we have some control, at the end of the day, it's the algorithm pulling the strings and we seem to be the puppets. According to a Pew Research study on the future of digital spaces and their role in democracy, one of the underlying problems of social media platforms is that they are designed for profit maximization. 
And it's been shown that in order to accelerate user engagement, social media platforms favor extreme speech regardless of if the information are facts or outright lies. So let's talk about how these algorithms, which play such a big role in shaping what we consume, also play a part in the spread of misinformation. Now, this same algorithm that is deciding which content you should see is the algorithm that also deciding which ad you should see, right? And that's essentially then the uh, maybe unintended the consequence for the misinformation on social media. We call this feeding algorithm. These feeding algorithms, if they are spreading that misinformation, they are going to send that misinformation to a user who is much more likely to engage with this misinformation, right? And that makes that the personalization, the customization that we talk about very different than a traditional world when the people were spreading rumors, you hear something from your neighbor, it may not even be relevant to you, you may not even care about it, right? Right now you have an algorithm that is working behind the scene. It gives you a piece of misinformation that you care, but you are very likely to care about it. It goes to the heart of the topic or the concept that it affects you. Then for you, instead of just uh, brushing it away, you are more likely to engage in it, to read it. If I am not interested on a topic, the chances that I see misinformation on that topic on social media that I'm using is not very high. But if I care about a particular topic, the chances that the misinformation that is on social media be routed to me, so I see it on my feed, is actually quite likely, quite high. And then you have that feeding algorithm giving you this misinformation. You see that misinformation. Most of that people within your network, they see the misinformation too. And this misinformation is very likely about the concept, a topic that all of those people, or most of the people in that group care about. And then you see, okay, you are reading it and you see your friend has liked it, right? We call that signaling um, effect of the um, social media. But signaling means that not only it gives you the content, it also gives you the signal from your friends to increase your engagement. So not only you see a content there that is a, maybe a, a piece of news, right? That is, let's say it's a fake news. You see your name of your friend that has liked this, this content. And then you see a number that, okay, a thousand other people have liked it. You might see the comment of your friend there, or you might see the comment of other people there. These are the signals that are being said. The signals meaning that the moment that there would be a difference, right, for us, if you see a news that nobody has liked it, nobody has commented on it, versus a piece of news that, well, 10,000 people have liked it, and another 500 people have commented on it, and so on. So then the second one is going to be more credible, right? And then if you are already likely to sort of engage and at least read that news and you see your friend is actually supporting it and liking it and the other people that you know in community or at least you know it's a friend of your friends, etc., have commented on it, this increases the chance that you believe what you see there right significantly. Social media platforms provide easy access to a lot of information, ways to communicate, entertainment, and how we get our news. But sharing wrong or deceptive information is also simple to do and pretty hard to correct or manage. This creates challenges related to public responsibility and defining what free speech really is. This personalized approach, where misinformation is directed towards users who are more likely to react to it, is pretty unethical when you think about it. It's like a tailored delivery of misinformation to the individuals who are most likely to believe and act on it. At the University of Colorado Boulder, Professor Robin Burke, chair of the Information Science Department, specializes in personalized recommender systems, a field he played a key role in establishing and advancing. 
Professor Burke, can you elaborate on how these feeding algorithms and signals contribute to the spread of misinformation and how this personalized approach of information being fed to us makes it so easy for us to not only believe what we're seeing on these platforms, but also share it with others? Well, one of the things that we know is that a lot of these signals that people are paying attention to, it's not necessarily a function of the truth of the content. So I might spend a long time reading something because it really makes me mad and I think it's wrong. I may forward something to a friend because I like, I can't believe they said this, right? So those signals of engagement are not necessarily correlated with the truth or veracity, reality of the thing that's being presented. And in fact, there's some evidence that the, the correlation goes the other direction, that things that are false, especially if they're the sort of misinformation, which is sort of you know really engineered to be outrageous or to trigger people um, into reacting to it, those are the things that I am more likely to to react to, to give off those signals of interest, to share with other people, et cetera, et cetera. And so what happens then is that there's an incentive to produce that kind of content. People will react to it. You know, it's it's more likely to be shared, reposted, commented on, so forth. The algorithm says, oh, here's some stuff that people are talking about. People are interested in this. People are clicking on this. I better send it to more people. You know, people react to it. The algorithm notices that. It gives it, you know, sends it out to more people. Those people react to it. You know, it's the chain reaction idea. And so if your goal is to produce a reaction and not necessarily to have any relationship to the truth, you know, then you can you can work to try and optimize the content you produce to get that kind of reaction independently of whether, you know, what you're producing is is true or not. And in fact, one of the things we know from the Facebook files, which were you know, this whistleblower released internal research documents from Facebook. What Facebook found was that if you look at content that makes people angry, it actually gives off more of these sort of engagement signals, but it also leads to the spread of uh, disinformation. This is why many social media platforms, you know, they try to do some things around fact checking, especially around election information and things like that, but it's very difficult to police that the platforms don't want to be seen as as policing you know people's speech and their content but i think what's important to understand is that in fact all of these things that they do in algorithm design are decisions right so they're choosing to amplify certain content they're choosing to focus on certain signals and they could make other choices right so there's nothing set in stone about way that the way the algorithms have to work a 2018 study from the mit media lab found a pretty scary observation about the dynamics of shared information on social media and their research found that false information spreads at a faster rate than truthful information with false information 70 percent more likely to be retweeted on Twitter and reach an initial 1,500 recipients, a staggering six times faster than the truth. This phenomenon is even more pronounced when it comes to political news. So, have you ever relied on social media for your news? If your answer is yes, you're not alone. When it comes to where Americans regularly get their news from on social media, Facebook stands out as the front runner. A significant 30% of U.S. adults report regularly obtaining news from Facebook. Following closely behind is YouTube with 26% of people, Instagram with 16% of users regularly obtaining news, TikTok with 14%, and Twitter slash X with 12% of people getting their news there. And here's an interesting fact. According to researchers at Temple University, 
67% of Americans have not only come across fake news on social media, but 23% of U.S. adults have admitted to knowingly sharing fake news. This means that outside of algorithms, human users also play a crucial role in the rapid spread of false information and news, all by hitting that retweet or share button. According to research, one possible explanation for this behavior is the novelty hypothesis, suggesting that people are naturally attracted to information that is novel and unusual. And as false news often falls into this category, it looks like we as users are unintentionally throwing some fuel on the fire when it comes to the spread of misinformation on social media. A new report has found that climate change-related misinformation has skyrocketed on Twitter since Elon Musk's takeover of the social media platform. Researchers with the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, a London-based nonprofit, found that a search for the word climate on Twitter and the first automatic recommendation isn't climate crisis or climate jobs or even climate change, but instead climate scam. On Twitter, the hashtag climate scam saw a huge increase since July of 2022. This surge in climate denialism described as a stark comeback for climate denial highlights the negligence of big tech companies in allowing and in some cases actively recommending such content to users. Even Meta made millions last year by running advertising campaigns that greenwash fossil fuel companies and spread disinformation about climate change. The Institute for Strategic Dialogue led a report with contributions from organizations like Friends of the Earth, the University of Exeter Seta Lab, and the Union of Concerned Scientists. The report scrutinized 850 advertisers on Meta's Facebook and Instagram platforms between September 1st and November 23rd, a critical time for global climate action, as world leaders gathered at the UN Climate Conference in Egypt. Coincidentally, or not, the fossil fuel industry had a pretty big online presence around the time of the conference. Organizations like the Heartland Institute, known for attacking widely accepted climate science, ran misleading ads while Energy Citizens, a front group for the American Petroleum Institute, focused on creating fear about clean energy's impact on America's, quote, energy security. Even America's plastic makers spent $1.1 million on climate-related ad campaigns pushing the myth that recycling solves the plastic waste problem, despite only 9% of the world's plastic waste being recycled. The report also cautioned against the deceptive tactics of oil and gas companies, which, while seemingly acknowledging climate change, promote solutions that maintain dependency on fossil fuels rather than embracing cleaner energy alternatives. So, the spike in climate misinformation on Twitter, especially with the hashtag climate scam, is raising some serious concerns. And let's keep it real. If we're not in the loop, misinformation can seriously mess up our plans to deal with real-life climate disasters. We have to know what's happening behind the scenes to stay on top of our game and dodge any unexpected climate curveballs coming our way. It's all about being in the know to stay clear of misinformation potholes. When you are already reading articles that say on climate misinformation, that climate change doesn't exist, for example, if you have read a lot of articles on that or pieces of news on that, or if you are connected to people within your echo chambers who are also climate change deniers, these algorithms understand that. They learn it very fast, right? So they know that if there is an article, there's a content that is about that the climate change doesn't exist, you are very likely to be interested in it. 
So it will be directed to you. So they reinforce the confirmation bias, meaning that you ha- we already have this bias. You already don't believe that the climate change is real. And you keep getting this feed from your social media that essentially the added evidence for you. And at that point, you don't engage in dialectical thinking at all because you already believe it. You have already made your decision. It just makes that belief stronger and stronger and stronger so much that even when you, you send that person factual information that is not in line with what the person's thinking, they're not going to buy it. They're not going to believe it. Then you will see that they label factual information as fake news which is interesting, it becomes very difficult to change the mind of that person, right? Because that person has a very strong now footing in that belief, thanks to a set of algorithms that have reinforced over time and reinforced and reinforced that confirmation bias. They don't see any sort of alternative outside of what they are seeing. Now, let's start with the big picture. The majority of Americans, about two-thirds to be exact, support prioritizing the development of renewable energy sources like wind and solar. While this point of view cuts across party lines, there's a clear divide when it comes to the approach. While 90% of Democrats are in favor of developing alternative energy sources, only 42% of Republicans feel the same way. Now, here's a twist. When it comes to completely phasing out fossil fuels, Americans in general are hesitant. Only about 31% support the idea, with the majority preferring a mix of energy sources, including fossil fuels and renewables. So what about the government's role in all of this? Well, two-thirds of Americans believe the federal government should encourage the production of wind and solar power. But opinions get a bit more mixed when it comes to other carbon production activities. Electric vehicles and nuclear power production receive more encouragement than discouragement. But there's still a close divide on oil and gas drilling. Now, let's address what we all know and see, the partisan gap. Over the last decade, Democrats and Republicans have grown further and further apart in their assessments of the threat posed by climate change. While a majority of U.S. adults, 54% to be exact, see climate change as a major threat, there's a stark contrast when we break it down by party lines. About 78% of Democrats view it as a major threat compared to only 23% of Republicans. It's a significant gap, reflective of the broader polarization on this issue. Now here's the kicker. While a majority see climate change as a major threat, it's not the top priority for many Americans. In 2023, only 37% believe addressing climate change should be a top priority for the president and Congress. This places climate change in 17th out of 21 national issues included in the survey. Democrats, however, see it as different, with 59% considering it a top priority compared to just 13% of Republicans. So, It's clear that Americans' views on climate change are a real mixed bag, influenced by factors like age, political affiliation, and beliefs. But here's the thing. Social media algorithms, with their knack for disinformation and confirmation bias, also play a huge role in shaping these diverse and opposing views on climate action. The challenge ahead? Finding that common ground to collectively tackle this global issue. I mean, I think it's it's a natural human tendency. Like we we focus on the things we agree with. We kind of push away the things that we disagree with. Like that's just you know how how people function. But I think one of the things about a newspaper of old, the Den Three Edition, right, 
it's the same paper for everybody. Everybody is seeing the same thing. That kind of creates a common ground of understanding of the issue. But when you move into an era where it's personalized, now not everybody is seeing the same story. And in fact, they may be living in completely different media landscapes, right? So some people might think the most important problem in the world is the war in Gaza. Other people might think the most important work problem in the world is immigration at the southern border of the United States. And the fact that the system is paying attention to your pattern of engagement and, and interest and reaction and so forth means that it's easy to end up in a situation where you're just seeing the things that uh, conform to your point of view and reinforce your point of view. You know, it's not like you don't know that there are other people out there, but you're not really hearing that side of the story from, you know, the, the folks that hold those hold those views. And so that's a recipe for just a lack of understanding, you know, of what's really going on and what the sort of overall landscape of opinion in the country is. You think everybody agrees with you. And it's it's good to understand that that's and then the way, you know, things work, especially in a democracy where part of the whole point is we do try to come to a, a common understanding of the problems that we face. And it's just a lot harder if people are operating from completely different sets of viewpoints and sets of facts about the world. And then you add to that the problem that you were mentioning before, which is it's easy for untruths and misinformation to creep into those systems because there isn't any counterbalancing you know, set of voices uh, calling it out. And then you have a situation where people are reacting not just to a truthful landscape, but to a mixture of, of truth and falsehood in their media diet. And sometimes it's very hard to tell the difference. Even if you don't agree with an opposing voice, it doesn't mean that it's not something that you should encounter, you know, and, and recognize, oh yeah, there is another side to this story. It's not just, it's not just the one that I kind of identify with or have been a sympathetic. The Pew voice. Research Center and Elon University's Imagining the Internet Center surveyed hundreds of experts about their predictions for the evolution of, of the digital public sphere by 2035. Of the 862 technology innovators, developers, business and policy leaders, researchers and activists who responded, 67% anticipate significant improvements in public online spaces by 2035 through collaborative efforts involving reforms, major tech companies, governments, and activists. These efforts aim to address challenges posed by misinformation, disinformation, and toxic discourse. However, concerns continue to rise about the ongoing exploitation of digital tools and forums to manipulate vulnerabilities, incite anger, and even foster division. Now, the spotlight is on the future of democracy with a particular focus on the challenges posed by online public spaces. Billions appreciate the perks the internet offers, but there's growing worry about the darker side, a virtual dumpster fire of venom, misinformation, conspiracy theories, and calls to violence in certain corners of social media. Social media giants like Facebook, Google, and Twitter have faced major scrutiny, especially after the January 6, 2021 attacks on the US Capitol. After the attacks, a congressional panel demanded records from various platforms regarding mis- and disinformation around the 2020 election. And Facebook in particular has been under the microscope, accused of allowing the spread of harmful content that led to ethnic violence, harmed teenagers, and undermined COVID-19 vaccination efforts. Tech activist movements are emerging to counteract this trend. Efforts to redesign online spaces for more constructive dialogue on important topics like climate change have gained traction. 
Some of the initiatives include creating an internet version of public media, introducing middleware to customize online experiences without negative consequences, implementing upvoting systems that promote consensuses over polarization, establishing an internet bill of rights for anonymous yet authentic online presence, and setting up constructive communication systems to reduce anger and bridge divides. But as we navigate the ongoing conversations about reshaping online public spaces, it's important to understand what we can do as users and consumers of information on these platforms to stop the spread of mis- and disinformation. No rational person wants to act irrationally, right? Even the people who act on the misinformation, they don't see it as a misinformation when they act on it, right? If they realize that there's a possibility that this is fake, this is not true really, the chances that really they act on it is significantly lower. Now, the first thing I think is um, the information literacy. The information literacy goes back to deciding about the credibility of the source uh, of the information. Where is this information coming from? Does the source have any interest in sort of creating the information the way they are being presented? Or the source is a sort of neutral source, right? And they are just reporting the information. This is very, very important. One way that it helps you to do that is to diversify your sources of information. Don't get all of your information from the same source. Even if it's a verifiable, a strong news source, you still have biases. So you have news agencies that they are on the right or they are on the left, you're going to have biases. So then if you get a misinformation that is aligned with that bias, you have a confirmation bias right there. So diversify your source of information. Ask some questions, right? Is this a credible information? How do I know that, right? Where is it coming from, right? Who said that? Number two, what are the sources, right? What are the facts that in support of this? When you engage in these already, right, you are, you are engaging in dialectical thinking. You are creating that doubt. Doubt is a good thing, right? That allows you to think. You do not make as many decisions because you have to spend more time on resolving those doubts, but you make much better decisions. That doubt helps you. Then you collect information about it. At the end, of course, we... Humans, we are living our life. We cannot, for every single piece of thing that we see on social media, to engage in the deep dialectical thinking about it. But one thing is that if you cannot engage in the dialectical thinking about something and you don't know the source exactly, that the source is credible, don't believe it. You see a piece of information and, okay, I don't have time to really go and verify this. Don't believe it. Very importantly, don't share it. Don't post it on social media. Don't get your news from social media. Social media doesn't give you a fair perspective on what is really happening. Don't get your news from social media. I never get my news from social media because it just is not a fair platform for sending you the right news, for sending you the full information, to give you the full picture. It definitely doesn't give you the full picture regardless. So it's going to give you the picture you like, and that's part of the picture. The worst part of it is that it's not even part of the picture, right? And you are believing in something that is just doesn't exist. And it really makes the people full of themselves. And then the worst thing is that they take some detrimental actions, right? That has very bad consequences. So as we wrap up today, a friendly reminder, social media might offer snapshots, but it's not the full picture. Be wary of the curated narratives and remember getting the full scoop is key to making informed decisions. When we think about the impacts of algorithms, it brings up some important questions. How do we balance civil liberties like freedom of speech and privacy with the necessity for regulation? Should we limit what people can post or should we focus on regulating the algorithms themselves? 
It's a complex issue with no easy answers. On one hand, we value freedom of expression and don't want to censor people's voices. But on the other hand, we need to protect society from the harm caused by the spread of misinformation and disinformation. And regulating the algorithms themselves raises questions about privacy and data use. How much do we want tech companies to know about us? And how do we balance the desire for personalized content with the need to protect ourselves from manipulation? These are big questions that go beyond social media platforms. They're about the future of democracy, the future of information, and the future of our society. In the end, we're going to need a mix of laws, tech smarts, and societal awareness to really address these issues. And we can't just be passive consumers. We have to be active participants in shaping the future of our digital world. And that starts with having conversations like these and continuing to ask tough questions. Well, everyone, that's all for this episode of Heat Waves of Change. Thank you to our guests for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Last month in January, we dropped the very first episode of our new season, season two, introducing and breaking down all things myths and disinformation as they relate to media and climate science. In our next episode, we're peeling back the layers of misinformation hidden within the fast fashion industry, an industry known for its trendy looks, but one that conceals some serious environmental downsides. Tune in next month as we uncover the hidden impacts of the fast fashion industry on the climate crisis and show you how misinformation is clouding the true cost of our clothing choices. If you missed any of our episodes, head over to Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts where you can subscribe and get access to all of the in-depth storytelling, reporting, and investigative journalism we do here at CDI. You can also check us out on social media at official underscore CDI underscore, or check out the work we do on our website at climatedemocracyinitiative.org. Until next time, stay safe and remember, the clock is ticking and the future of the planet and the state of its democracy lies in our hands. Thank you.